like I keep using the word excavating. It was I look at writing as like an archaeological dig more than I'm channeling something from the outside. I feel like I'm going inward and finding all these little beautiful treasures that were buried in there through the course of my life that I never paid any attention to. Hello and welcome to Emerging Form. This is a podcast on creative process. I'm Rosemary Watola Tromer. And I'm Christy Ashwanden. Hey, Rosemary. Hey, Christy. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of listeners ask us if we would pursue, like we talked about on our New Year's episode, uh, if we would continue to pursue the idea of creativity and depression and <laughs> there's something fabulous and ironic about the fact that we're going to be doing that with someone who is a comedian. Right. <laughs> uh, and I I got to know John's work because he's also a poet and people share his poems with me with some regularity. He is a comic who unexpectedly gained his notability as a writer because he was sharing pieces on social media. They ended up going viral. Almost everybody's dream is, you know, what if it could go viral? It, that is his story. He is the author of six self-published books that went on to become Amazon bestsellers, including Hey God, Hey John. Upon Departure, and his latest work is Fitting In is for Sardines. I love that title. <laughs> he offers I know. <laughs> he offers a sincere and very relatable look at his faith crisis, mental health, personal struggles, perception of our world, and even his fashion sense. And we'll hear all those things in our upcoming interview. His writing has been shared millions of times across social media, and he teaches at universities and retreat centers all across the U.S. Let's bring on John Rodell. Welcome to Emerging Forum, John. Thank you so much. We're so glad you're here. And uh, and this is a topic that has been something we've brought up before on Emerging Forum, and people have asked for more. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to have you here today. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm so thrilled to be here. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. Can we start maybe just with a little bit of storytelling? You have a powerful story about how you came to writing poetry through a near-fatal depression in 2016. And could you tell us some of that story? Yeah, I'll give you a little background on that. So I started writing about my experience and my journey, uh, my mental health journey in 2016. But, you know, like all stories, it started long before that. It, it, it began, you know, and it's kind of a cliche, uh, I guess. I didn't read poetry. I didn't write. I, I, I teach improv comedy. I Here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, in this huge metropolis of Cheyenne, Wyoming, I was part of an improv comedy group in which we wrote sketch comedy and we put on shows, kind of making fun of local things. It was our Saturday Night Live for um, this town of 50,000 people I live in. And so that was really my only background in writing was just writing to make people laugh, which was exactly what I wanted to do with my life growing up. Um, so I'm a fourth generation Wyomingite uh, in Cheyenne specifically. My great great grandfather moved here to Cheyenne in 1885 and opened up a drugstore. And then my grandfather inherited that. And then my father inherited that. 
And then when my father fell sick and when I was in college and I was about to tell them I was moving to Chicago uh, to go do uh, wait tables and try to get into Second City and Saturday Night Live and all that. Um, they asked me to come back to Cheyenne for a couple years and kind of help the drugstore stay afloat um, that had been open 100 years at that point. And so I said, sure. And then next thing you know, um, you know, it was I was I was just roots started to set in and I was in Cheyenne. My father passed away shortly thereafter and my mom uh, was about 75 at the time. So I kind of went from a college kid to a straight on uh, small business owner, which a Netflix documentary crew should have been following <laughs> me around at that point because I had no business. Sink or swim. Right. It was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of sinking, but it was a maybe orchestrated sinking. There was a lot of support and, you know, all the people who worked at that store had been with us for like dozens and dozens of years. People I knew since I was like a baby had been working there for years and it was a really interesting experience. And so I, I worked in that store and then we had to close it about 10 years after that. And I helped with the process of closing that store. And then a couple years after that, my mom passed away. So during that time, I was kind of a doula, a death doula for my father and then this drugstore and then my mom. And throughout that process, so that was kind of my identity, and I kind of gave up on those ideas of comedy or whatever. Uh, our oldest son, uh, Noah, was born uh, in 2002, and he was diagnosed with autism. So after the store closed and my mom passed away, I kind of was in charge. I kind of became the stay-at-home dad uh, raising our child uh, who was living with special needs. And that became my identity for about a decade. And then in about 2013, 2012, he just didn't need me anymore. And he, he really was impacted by autism by about, but about 10 years after that, he started blossoming and emerging and coming out of this cocoon and this chrysalis. And all of a sudden, here I was in 2014, 2015, no idea who I was. Um, I knew who I wanted to be when I was 20 years old and I had a kind of a goals and vision. But at 40, 40 something, I had no idea who I was. Uh, we were putting on these comedy shows and I knew I felt good when I wrote and made people laugh and was getting up on stage and teaching improv. So I took that angst I had and I just started sitting down and making fun of self-help and making fun of, uh, you know, I was a born and raised Catholic. I, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the journey I'm on now, but, uh, you know, a lot of people were sent, knew, knowing that I wasn't feeling great, were sending me all these wonderful Bible verses and like hanging their kitty memes and things like that, just, you know, and, and really well-intended things and books and all this self-help books. And they all just made me mad and they weren't connecting with me at all. So I started writing these little fake conversations with a very non-denominational, non-axe-grinding God on Facebook to kind of make fun of everything, to make fun of easy answers and just pray it away. And, you know, can't you just, you know, if you're a better Catholic, you'll feel better kind of things I was getting. So I started making fun and, and this character God and I would have conversations on Facebook about why I shouldn't wear skinny jeans or what was on Big Brother the night before or, uh, you know, recipes. We'd swap recipes and it was kind of a back and forth of making fun of kind of easy answers. And the more I started writing and people started following along and I was kind of making it fun. But the more I started writing like that and just showing up every day, I did it every day. All of a sudden, these little breadcrumbs and these little truths started revealing themselves. And these conversations started to dig a little bit deeper 
um, I became more vulnerable. And there was a couple crossroads moments where I decided, well, I can't put this out into the world because what are people going to think of me? I live in a small town. What is my college roommate who I haven't spoken to in 10 years, but he's, I see him at the grocery store from time to time. What's he going to think of me if I start writing real things? And I got this crossroad moment and I wasn't going to do it anymore, but someone, a stranger from Massachusetts wrote me. He was an account executive for a major firm. We, he and I are not at all having the same experience here on earth. Yeah, he's, you know, six figure income, really, you know, timeshares in Cabo. But he wrote me and said, I so appreciate what you're talking about. And at that point, I was just barely scratching the surface with my own depression or my own faith crisis and things like that. And he said, thank you for giving me permission to at least allow myself to feel these things. And it was that little quick conversation back and forth that I had with him on Facebook Messenger of all things. And I have a really complicated relationship with Facebook. Um, I, I love it and I hate it. And it was that kind of conversation I had with him that sort of gave me permission. Okay, what if I, what if I dug just a little bit deeper into my, into my heart? Because I was starting to feel a little bit better. At least I was feeling the blockage move. And I was starting to feel, you know, I wasn't just caught in this river eddy and things were starting to move. And the more I wrote and the more I made it public and shared it with people, the more I felt like it was moving because other people would respond, oh, I understand that. And it made me feel better and less alone. And then eventually over time, these little conversations with God, quote unquote, and I'm not an evangelist, nor do I think I don't talk to Bernie Bushes. I, you know, I don't know that God uses Facebook, although CBS did have a sitcom a little <laughs> while ago where God did have a Facebook account. And I feel like they owe me some royalties. But eventually these training wheels of me having God as a transcript and a conversation just kind of fell off. And it just started coming out as lyrics and poetry these messages that I needed to see in the world that I wasn't finding in self-help or in Bible verses, I started writing them and I started feeling better. And the more I wrote, the more other people seemed to at least understand and say, that's a little bit of my experience too. And that's kind of how it all got started. I had, I had, I took poetry in high school. I took poetry in college. I probably got C minuses or D pluses and all those units. I didn't ever gravitate towards it at all. So it's kind of the cart came before the horse. And now I'm obsessed with it. And now I'm obsessed with going back and, and, and introducing myself to all these wonderful writers that I just didn't know anything about, like Hafiz. Maya Angelou or Mary Oliver, all with these wonderful writers that I just didn't know anything about. And now it's this incredible adventure of kind of discovery of other people's voices and, but my own as well. And, it, but it all started with this kind of breaking moment where I needed to put this angst somewhere and it was the page. This is so beautiful. And what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you went through this period. I just want to take a moment here to honor how much loss you absorbed in such a small period of time. And that's, that's a lot. And I think a lot of us have been in situations where we're facing a loss like that. And so often, you know, there's nothing that can really make you feel better, right? And people can throw these, you know, you're sort of bombarded with these affirmations and things that actually just sort of don't help. And what I see you doing is that you sort of said, I need help here. And you, you made it for yourself. You created this thing, you know, you pushed back against those, you know, tidy sayings and all of that. And you sort of found your own voice and you found your own comfort. 
and then you shared it and then you became the person who was comforting someone else and i just think that's beautiful and I appreciate it. It's definitely not, I would love to say this is all part of this architecture and design that I have this in mind. It's very much a cliched midlife crisis where maybe other people buy, you know, an extra car or have an extra relationship or whatever. Or take up poetry. Yeah, there, you know, that's always a midlife crisis. <laughs> right, of course, you hear that all the time. That old thing. Mine was more of an interior. I fell uh-huh. inside of myself mm, instead of yeah. falling outside into the world which had I not found this way of connecting with my own heart and my own troubles, because I'd never paid attention to them. I just kept burying and burying and burying and hiding and hiding and hiding. There's something about the hand and the pen or your fingers on the keyboard that helps start digging and excavating all these little fossils and these hurts that I had inside of me. And every time I did, every time I showed up and wrote, I didn't know what I was going to write about. I didn't know what these little conversations would be. I just knew how I felt. And it all started with, how do I feel today? That stupid little Facebook box, what's going on, it says, or (laughs) what's on your mind? And for me, it was always like, oh, thank goodness someone asked, because not very many people ask me how I'm feeling or ask me what's going on. I mean, I live in cowboy culture here in in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where we're supposed to just wrap ourselves in barbed wire and rub dirt on our injuries. And so I didn't really have anyone to talk to, but these boxes showing up on Facebook, what's going on today? Well, I'll tell you. And it kind of started from there. And it was definitely a cry for help. It definitely is still a cry for help. I'm not ashamed to admit, every time I write a poem, even today I wrote a poem about a wildflower. And even in the lines of that, I feel like that's a cry for help. But I think we're all crying for help, so I'm kind of leaning into it now. So this is interesting to me too. First of all, we're all crying for help. You know, I feel like that's, we could just name our episode that. But I, you know, I think that, Interesting to me, you say, you know, I needed someone to talk to. I didn't have someone to talk to. Uh, And so you created a persona for God to talk to. But curious to me is that that you also wrote back from that persona, which is, you know, a a witnessing place and and an inner wisdom place. And maybe just talk a little bit about what that's like to 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 write back to the self and and what happens when you do that. I remember going when I was in high school and I was a good uh, Sunday school Catholic. I went to Catholic school growing up. My wife and I met in seventh grade at a Catholic school. You know, I I was in this small Catholic school for my whole life. It closed on my senior year and I got thrown to the secular wolves on my senior year. But for most (laughs) of them, I mean, I was a good Catholic and I went to all the, I remember going to these retreats and I have never thought about this till just right now when you brought up that question was at the end of every retreat, you would write a letter to yourself and then you would fold it up and then they would send it to you like a year later and you got to see whatever progress you made or and it kind of was able to go back and give you a timeline. And that is a little bit of how this feels now. When I write back, when I was certainly when I was writing back as a God character, I wasn't doing it to convert anybody or to evangelize or any of that. It was more that I wanted a relationship with something inside of myself. Um, as a comic, as a person who liked to make people laugh or be on stage or be crazy, I was known for kind of a, I, I'm shaped like a penguin. Um, so I had an interesting body type that I could always go on stage and do you know, physical comedy and fun things. And I loved helping people feel better about themselves. 
But in doing that, and I remember when Robin Williams passed away in 2014, that was one of the inciting events for me to start looking at my own well-being. It was the first time I actually asked myself, am I okay? And it took about two years to start really answering that question. But it's this, it was these having a relationship with this person inside of me who I wasn't ever listening to or asking if they were okay or what was going on and giving them a chance to speak. And lo and behold, they had a lot to say and they had a lot going on and they had probably absorbed a lot of wisdom from a lot of people out there. Do I think that God was uh, talking to me? No. But do I think that maybe I had absorbed graces and witnessed natural beauty and wonder and bumped into uh, unintentional angels out there in the world that somehow I absorbed the things they said or how they made me feel and it just sat there inside my heart? And then once I was able to start writing, it was a way of like I keep using the word excavating. It was I look at writing as like an archaeological dig more than I'm channeling something from the outside. I feel like I'm going inward and finding all these little beautiful treasures that were buried in there through the course of my life that I never paid any attention to. Oh, that's that's wonderful. And I just want to make an observation. And that is, I think sometimes when we're experiencing something very difficult, it can be hard to sort of confront ourselves and so sort of taking a step back so here you're sort of almost turning yourself into a character right like these are all parts of yourself but it's almost like you're taking a step back and this is something that you do when you're writing memoir because you're sort of picking and choosing and creating a story but but I think that distance sometimes in writing you know it gives us an opportunity to create that and to sort of think of yourself as a character and it's so interesting to me how oftentimes it's harder for us to be kind to ourselves, but we can be kind to this character. We can find that empathy and all of that. And, and that's what I sort of see you doing here is, is giving yourself that distance so that you can take a more sort of sober look at, at what is going on and what is this person experiencing and what might help him. That's exactly right. And that's, that's really perceptive. Uh, the first time I ever acknowledged I had depression or was experiencing depression was when I typed it out in this transcript setting where it was almost very sanitized. It was God as one and then God would type and then me and then my, but me was a character. It was, you know, it was me, but I was from the outside almost transcribing between these two people in my mind. And when I wrote comedy and when I was writing sketches, I could never see it. Like I could never block a scene and say, okay, at this point, you're going to walk across stage and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. I, would, I could hear the conversation. It was always audio. I could only just hear what they were saying to each other. And I could never see, I didn't ever see any of these things I wrote, but I could hear the conversation between this me character and this God character. And God would write everything that I wish someone was saying to me in that moment. Like a co like if you're in a coffee house with a soul friend and you're having one of those days where you're, you're dangling your feet over the edge and nothing's going great. And you have that friend there that's able to give you perspective. And no matter what, just say, regardless of what this I love you and our, our relationship matters and I understand you. And that was really basically the tenet of all those conversations boiled down. There was never any like, oh, if you just do this, if you pray five Hail Marys and, you know, and, and go to this, you know, pay $30 a month to get this uh, special medal, you know, you're going to be fine. No, it was always just like, no matter what you go through, I will be with you during this storm. Yeah. And I mean, that's relational and that's just what a friend would say. I wonder too, you know, one hallmark of depression is just sort of this feeling of like, 
nothing matters, like a, a total lack of energy for life and like everything just feels so difficult. I wonder if this project sort of re-energized you and, and helped to get you out of that funk of just like getting out of bed in the morning and, and yeah. finding some sort of purpose or some sort of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, again, I had never thought of that. It's really smart because it gave me a routine every day. Mm. It gave me a ritual. It gave me an anchor to tether myself to something because at that point our store had closed um i had been a stay-at-home dad you know being the one to answer all the calls at the school where things were going on or being the one to go on field trips and being kind of that guy and all of a sudden i wasn't that i'd had nothing i was just my kids didn't need me my wife was doing great in her career and i had no identity and no purpose and I remember I would go to our Cheyenne had a Barnes and Noble and I would go there every day and write these conversations. Same time, 9 a.m. to 1030 every day. And I never missed it. In fact, they when they closed, like they more or less let me close the store for them because <laughs> I, I became like this mascot of this Barnes and Noble um, where I was there every day having the same experience every day, surrounded by books, which I loved and surrounded by people. I just like being around books and people and seeing everybody moving around. I didn't talk to anyone. But I would sit down there and every day was the same thing, but it gave me purpose. It gave me an anchor. I didn't realize at the time, but it probably saved my life. So what's curious to me is you were, you set us up with, I had an identity as a death doula. I had an identity as a stay-at-home dad. And what is, is there a specific identity now that you feel like you're living into? Or do you feel like you've kind of moved through, I need an identity? Or what is that relationship with your creative practice right now? Oh, really, really wonderful question. Um, I've moved, I've come to peace. I've had a, a complete acceptance and surrender to the fact that I don't really care to have an identity. Uh-huh. Um, That's big. Wow. That I and it, it's not at all like whoa, you know, I'm this ambiguous, mysterious character. And maybe it's a self defense mechanism, but I don't even refer to myself, you know, as a poet. I'm just a person who writes poetry. I don't refer to myself as a comic. I'm a person who likes to make people laugh sometimes, and it depends on the day and it depends what's going on. Because it's very much the improvised improv philosophy of yes and. It's like, this is happening, and I can't wait to see what comes next. Writing in this way, writing these conversations was so unexpected and such a surprise to me and any person who ever taught me English or literature at all. I've talked to a few of my high school teachers who are still marveling (laughs) at the fact that I can, you know, uh, you know, they're still trying to explain to me what a semicolon is. But the idea is that, like, I'd never had I had a hardcore expectations, like, no, men don't write like this. No, you don't share this parts of your life with yourself. Mm. I just started saying yes to it as it happened. So I guess if I had any identity, I'm just a person who's saying yes to whatever is coming next. But that can be radically different a month from now. I might be doing something completely different, and I'm kind of surrendering to that. So it's kind of a muddled answer, but that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. I have another observation, and that is, I feel like, Rosemary, hear me out here. This, this issue of identity comes up again and again on this show, and people struggling with identity and sort of finding identity and exploring identity through their creative work. And I think it's just a, a really wonderful way of addressing some of those crises of like, who am I? <laughs> What's going on in my, in my world? that sometimes creating something can be a way of exploring that and finding an answer. And even maybe seeing your own life as an emerging form. 
right? I mean, it yeah. seems like that's what right. you're right. saying to me is that. Yeah, yeah, that's really, and I know who I am today. I know who I am right now in our conversation right now, but I don't really know who I'm going to be. I know I'll hold tight to, you know, some of my strong tenants and, you know, canon, but I don't know who exactly I'm going to be in a month from now. And that's what kind of makes this exciting. And so I think it's me not wanting to put any, any roots in. I look at Steve Martin, who stand up comedian, and then he became an actor. And then after he became an actor, then he started writing romance novels. And then later in life, he became a master banjo player playing, playing with Edie Bacall and the New Bohemians. And then he went back to uh, acting. And then he's writing, he's written screenplays, and he just, it's the same light reflecting off of him in just different ways. And I think if anything, I just want to be a person who lets light reflect off of me. And I don't really care how that comes about. And I'm not going to put any ego or any expectation in two years from now, maybe I'm doing something wildly different. And I just have to be open to that. And that's kind of where I'm at. John, I think this is a great moment maybe to let our listeners know that we're going to be really exploring this big time in our bonus episode uh, where we're going to be reading the Fernando Pessoa poem that you brought up and really exploring how identities shift. Yes. And uh, so we'll, if uh, if you are a member of Emerging Form. Paid subscriber. Thank you. If you are a subscriber to Emerging Form, then you'll be getting that bonus episode next week. And uh, I, I want to close out, I guess, just with one more question in this main episode. And that's this, that if you, I know you do a lot of work with people with storytelling, um, you do these retreats. And what is something, <laughs> I guess it's not a very short, but if, if you were going to give some advice to someone now who is in a depressed place, who is really not sure how they're going to meet next moment. Is there something that you would say to somebody right now in terms of how you might invite them to meet themselves? Yeah. And I, I, I've been lucky enough, again, completely unexpected, and I had no infrastructure for it, to go and kind of help facilitate some writing retreats, but they're kind of anti-writing retreats. It's not about how to get published or how to, you know, 10 steps to be the, become a bestseller. It's more of my approach of how I just showed up every day and just wrote without any interference from the outside world or worrying about judgment or anything like that, just sitting down and writing to get to know myself. And during doing that, there were some uncomfortable moments in which I had to confront, I had to confront some old scars and I had to bump into some ghosts and I had to deal with the guilt and shame uh, that was handed to me over the years. And I willfully accepted the one thing I tell people in all these, you know, in these retreats, in, in these workshops that I run, a couple things. One is it's okay sometimes to focus on the things that make you happy. As writers, sometimes it's easy to only focus on the, the trauma or the hard things or the things that broke us or, or got us. I find it, I've been finding it fascinating that a lot of the people I've been working with, it's hard for them to write about the things they're grateful for. It's hard about to write about the things, successes and the wonderful things that have happened because we now lived in a world where we're overcorrecting, where if you talk about those things, you're bragging and you're being an egomaniac. And so some people don't, it's more uncomfortable to talk about those things. But when you confront those ghosts or those scars or those uh, memories that are hard or even those things right now, the open wound, 
to approach it. And I think you guys said it early on, but it's to approach it with kindness, to approach it with this gentle self-love. And even if the self-love feels like, oh, I'm just saying I love myself. We do an exercise and my th- well, we'll write a little bit. And then after every three lines in the margin, you have to say, no matter what, I love myself over and over as you're writing through it. And maybe it's, and I, I honestly did that. Um, even when I write poetry, if I'm writing something, I wrote something last week that was hard for me to write. And I, I even had this moment, I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm writing this. And in the margins, I would write, regardless, I love myself. Despite this, I love myself. And maybe at the time, I don't believe it. But I go back when I read it and I read the things, I see those lines and it's almost, I think, the more I can write it out in these hard moments, the more I believe it and the more it kind of seeps in to the soil. So just want to be kind. Don't, if you're going to write or explore these these shadows, don't use it as an excuse to retry yourself for old crimes or to re-crucify yourself. Give yourself love and compassion. You can write about hard things, but you don't have to do it in a way where you're punishing yourself. And you'll know it when you see it. If you're writing something that makes you feel worse about yourself, then that's not healthy. What a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, John, for being with us. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. You got you amazing, such wonderful questions. I'm really honored to have been here. Aww. Thank you, John. Thank you. You've been listening to Emerging Form. This is Rosemary Watola-Tromer, and my co-host is science writer Christy Ashwanden. Our fabulous audio producer is Cherie Turner, and our music is created and performed by Kira Kopostansky and edited by Leah Shaw. Kate LaRue designed our logo, and Jack Mueller, of course, inspired our work and the name of this podcast. As he always said, you must obey the poem's emerging form. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Did you know that for just a few bucks a month, you can become a paid subscriber and get bonus episodes every other week? Go to emergingform.substack.com to sign up. And if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.